wearing the navy blue of Victoria. And uses his feet and goes again through mid-wicket. That's an even better shot from the Victorian captain. Swept away very nicely by Nicole Bottom for four. Oh, he's been given! That is 50. The man from Northcote. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Vic State Cricket Podcast. I'm Adam White and it's a real family affair today. We've got brother and sister, Annabelle Sutherland and Will Sutherland, both in action over the weekend for Victoria. And then a little bit later on, a real treat, father and son, Matthew Elliott and his son, Sam Elliott, who played for Victoria on Sunday. So we're really looking forward to going down memory lane with one of Victoria's greatest ever batsmen. But we're going to start with the, the recent stuff. And over the weekend, we had both the men and women playing uh, in South Australia, the women and the men here at City Power Centre. And we'll start with Will because it was a really weird weekend. Maybe nice, not so much on Sunday against WA, but against New South Wales, we went off the last ball. But I'm not sure we even knew it was the last ball when it was the last ball, if that makes sense. So there was a real dramatic end to it all. It was uh, a Duckworth-Lewis situation, a six off the last ball. Will, welcome and explain to us that dramatic end. Yeah, it was a um, pretty strange day, to be honest. Um, sort of to start with, um, happy to be bowling first. I think conditions were favourable um, and did very well to restrict them to 270 in the end. I think they were on track for 350 plus, so that was a positive. Um, and then obviously um, light light affected. Um, so we're on the Duckworth-Lewis um, system towards the end there and um, basically came down to needing um, pretty much eight off six because um, only spin was being bowled at the time. And, um, yeah, last ball, I think we needed four off one to get ahead on the Duckworth-Lewis and the game was going to be called then. And um, big Matty Short stepped up and hit a six um, down the ground. So, um, it was yeah, it was a great start to the, the campaign with that sneaky win. So take us through that last over because the scores were tied and the decision was made for there to be an extra over, but it had to be by spin. I think I'm getting this right. What happened? Tell us exactly what was going on in the dugout and also what the guys were saying out in the middle. Yeah, I think on the scoreboard they actually thought um, they were ahead by one run. So they've obviously gone to bring Hatcher back on and the, the game would have been over. So Johnny Holland ran out with the Duckworth-Lewis sheet and sure enough the scores were tied. So obviously both teams playing to win, um, went for another over and um, yeah, we were just incredibly nervous and, and knew what the state of the game was and um, credit to the two batters as well. It would have been uh, much trickier for them to sort of know what the state of the game was. But Shorty knew he needed, um, I think, four off the last ball and obviously with the big six to get the win. We actually had Matt Short as our co-host here last week and he talked about his pre-season, which he's done at home and all about the, the hard work he did. I, I guess we're already seeing some reward for effort. What was he like coming off the ground? Yeah, he was pretty pumped, um, to be honest. But um, as you said, he's... Um, put in a mountain of work this pre-season. I think, um, yeah, to get that reward so early in the season, um, he certainly deserved it. So we're all very happy for him. How many times has he reminded you of it since? Yeah, he has already, I reckon. So um, fair enough, though. We were, we were happy to hear it um, on the day, for sure. When you go off a bad light, it can always be a bit of a nervous time as you, whether you go back on or not. Now, in your situation, you're in front. You don't want to go back on. But was there a chance that might have actually happened? Yeah, basically... Um, we were a chance to still come back on if it got a little bit lighter and um, they could have bowled part-time. I think Moses on regs bowled some little offies or he was keen to do that. So there was a little bit of tension there just in case we did have to come back on and um, the whole situation would have started again with the Duckworth-Lewis thing. But, um, yeah, luckily enough, um, it was too dark and, and we got the win. 
on to Sunday's game against the defending champions who ultimately were too good for you. It was a it was a tight game that went pretty deep, but there were some encouraging signs to come out of it, particularly Pete Hanscom, who really led from the front. His form looks really good early, particularly that 93 on Sunday. Yeah, he's been um, so good in the in the one-day format for so long. Um, incredibly reliable at four. So, yeah, just to see him um, doing it again is very reassuring because he's, yeah, he's the, um, you know, pinpoint of our innings at number four there. So everyone sort of sets up around him. Um, so, yeah, very happy for him to get some runs early. Now, you got a few yourself, including the big one that hit the City Power Centre. Take us through that. Yeah, little cheeky six there off the spinners. Um, probably target the spinners when I can. So um, good to get on onto one, yeah. Now, Will, the thing that everyone is talking about is that incredible catch late in the game. Take us through it. Um, yeah, just... Saw it, threw hands at it. Um, luckily, it sticks. So um, always good to help out the bowlers when I can. John O'Merlo was bowling as well. So <laughs> extra incentive there with a good friend bowling. So I know one of the focuses for you this year is bowling deep in the innings. And it looked on Sunday that you're getting that ball to reverse a little bit. Is that is that a fair call? Yeah, it was reversing a little bit, um, which was nice. With the two balls, they're only sort of 20 overs old. So you do need a little bit of luck. Um, I think it probably hit a building at some stage and scuffed up a bit. But, um, yeah, we did well to get it reversing there. It kept us in the game for a little bit. Okay, now we're on to the more important Sutherland, the Annabelle. Annabelle, you had a really crazy weekend as well, not dissimilar to the men. It was a high-scoring loss and a very good partnership, which we'll get to shortly, and then a tie. So there's a lot to talk to you about. But let's start with the 200-run partnership with Elise Perry. Um, that must be a... I know you didn't get the win, but it must be a real positive start to the season for you personally and for the team with the way you batted. Yeah, it was really special, um, I think, to start the season off with some time in the middle. Um, Pez batted beautifully in, I guess, some challenging conditions early on. So uh, for me to come in through that that middle over period, um, she made it really easy for me to get in and, and get up the other end. Um, completely took the pressure off me and, and we were able to kind of bat through together till the end and, and cash in in the last 10 overs, which is what we sort of set out to do, um, knowing that those last 10 overs were going to be the easiest time to bat. Now, it was a 200-run partnership with Elise Perry, as I mentioned, but it's also uh, a century for you, your first Victorian century. What was that like? Uh, it was nice. I think um, a little bit of reward for effort. Um, obviously, put in a lot of work over the pre-season with Dulop, our batting coach, and um, had some um, game time over in the 100 as well, which I think has helped me sort of um, get into the season pretty quickly. So, yeah, it was nice to spend some time out in the middle and, yeah, I guess a good way to, to start off the year. Bell, take us through the, the conditions at Karen Rolt Noble because usually they are batter's conditions, real sort of highway stuff, but it didn't seem to be necessarily the case uh, on both games on Friday and Sunday. Yeah, it was um, a pretty good wicket. I think there was a really, really short boundary on one side, um, which I think you saw certain players target that. And it, it was quite hard to bowl, particularly in, in those last 10 overs, to to try and keep batters hitting to the longer longer side of the, um, the oval. So, yeah, it was challenging as a fielding team to defend in, in those last 10. But, um, yeah, a pretty good wicket that I think got better um as the day went on particularly on that friday with some sun on on the weekend the groundies did a great job to get that that wicket up because there'd been a lot of rain in the in uh during the week so um yeah we were just happy to be out there now runs were a bit of a challenge at times for victoria last year but getting plenty of them in these 
first couple of games, particularly that first one, uh, not just yourself and Elise, so I've got runs as well. Does that give the group a bit of confidence? As a group, we've made a lot of um, improvements just even in the, the last pre-season off the back of last year. Um, I think the girls learned a lot from the challenges we had last year, particularly with the bat and like, even though they didn't get as much of an opportunity, Kim Garth, Nicole Fulton, uh, Tess Flintoff, they're all wearing the go um, and coming off runs as well in our pre-season games. So, yeah, it was nice for Pez and Soph uh, and myself to have some time in the middle, but those girls as well coming through and um, having a lot of time in pre-season and in those matches we've played um, warm-up games, they're, they're ready to go as well. Now, I'm noticing, Annabelle, you're slowly creeping up that batting order and you've got yourself into the top four. You must uh, be loving, uh, relishing that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I want to contribute to the team as much as possible and, um, yeah, take my opportunity when it comes up the top of the order. So, um, yeah, I guess it, it's exciting to, to have that chance to bat in the top four for Victoria and, and bat alongside someone like Pez who you can learn a lot off um, batting with. So, yeah, I'll, yeah, hopefully just try and hold my spot there. Now, we just spoke to Will about a crazy finish in that New South Wales game, but you also had a crazy finish, arguably crazier. I thought the game was finished. I thought you were all going home. Uh, and all of a sudden you're back on and it was a tie. Take us through exactly what took place. Yeah, well, we bowled out 50 overs um, and I think they made 200 odd and uh, it was threatening all day to rain and eventually it did. And, yeah, Duckworth Lewis uh, was involved, which I think always... Um, yeah, just throws a spanner in the works for everyone. So um, we went out needing about five and a half and over. It was about a 20-over game um, and it basically rained for those 20-overs throughout the whole inning. So the whole time there was um, speculation when the rain got a little bit heavier whether we should go off or not. Um, yeah, and we ended up staying out there for the whole innings and couldn't quite get it done. I think we needed eight off six um in that last over and Talia McGraw was bowling and bowled a really good over and um yeah we, we couldn't quite get over the line but yeah at least nice to get away with, with two points. Now you were out there for that last over with Tess take us through your tactics and how you tried to get over the line because there was that short boundary to one side. Yeah it was um yeah I found myself off strike at the other end and um yeah had full faith in in Tess but yeah, we just couldn't quite get get that extra run. So, um, yeah, again, credit to Talia. She bowled a great over with some nice slower balls, which were pretty hard to hit. So you took last year's finalists right to the end, that, that dramatic tie. You didn't quite get the win, but how much confidence does that give the group that you, you're getting closer? Yeah, I think that was the, the, I guess, message from our skipper, Soph, after the game was just how competitive we were. And um, it's just about getting those key moments right now and um, – I guess finishing off those those little moments that are going to get us off the line over the line. So um, I think like everyone in the team contributed across the two games. Um, so it was it was really good to see, and I think everyone's taken a lot of confidence from the two games, even though we didn't quite get a win. Now, to be honest, Annabelle, the only reason we really wanted to talk to you today is to talk about what happened between the two matches. So you played on the Friday and the Sunday. There's a little bit of a window of opportunity for you on the Saturday. What did you do? Yeah, I had booked flights about a month earlier just in preparation in case uh, the Geelong Cats made the grand final and 
we uh, yeah the boys managed to make the grand final so um yeah i ticked it off with the coach and the captain um and flew back to melbourne from adelaide just to get there on the saturday and um yeah watch watch the cats get over the line against the swans now my spies tell you at 6 30 on saturday night you're in the rooms talking to premiership captain joel selwood four-time premiership player joel selwood but didn't you have to be on a flight pretty quickly I had an 8.50 flight, so left straight from the G, headed to the airport. Um, I was stressed right up until I was on the plane and knew that the flight definitely wasn't cancelled. So was happy to be um, in Adelaide later that night and um, ready to go on the Sunday. So, well, you've got a full house of Geelong supporters. Take us through how you became a cat. Uh, yeah, mum and dad were both Geelong supporters. Um, dad grew up in Geelong, so really no option there. I think we would have been kicked out if we chose any other team. Um, yeah, we've just always gone for Geelong. And yeah, as Belsie said, it was pretty awesome to see him get the win. Now, you were also in the rooms after the game. I don't know how they fitted you all in. Um, what was it like? Tell us the, the environment, the vibe uh, to be down in the rooms of a premiership team. Yeah, pretty good vibes down there. Um, I think my brother got the best of it. He actually went to the Geelong after party as well that night. So not sure if he can remember too much of it. But, um, no, it was great to see the um, the boys, you know, everyone doubted them for being too old. But um, they were too good in the end. Well, guys, thank you very much for coming in. I know you've had a busy weekend playing cricket and also uh, watching your footy team win the Premiership. Good luck for the rest of the year. And I'm sure we'll see you throughout the course of 22-23. Annabelle Sutherland and also Will Sutherland. We're going to continue the family affair next. Matthew Elliott and his son, Sam. Okay, continuing the family connection on the Vic State Cricket Podcast this week is, well, we've got the Elliots. We've got Matthew Elliott and also Sam Elliott. So we're going to introduce the most important one first, Sam. Yeah, Current well, Victorian squad member. I think we've got to go to you first. Welcome. Yeah, I would have thought so. What um, the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and... Officially, Matthew, welcome. Thank no, thank you. I think I should have been first then. That was 100 games, surely. Oh, I think we go with the more recent Victorian oh, play, don't okay. we? All right. Maybe just. What, what, what's it like watching your son on the hill play for the Navy in white? It's very nerve-wracking. I think the guys were having a crack at me last night about standing there and just riding every ball and watching him play. But, no, it's, it was really good. I really enjoyed – actually just enjoyed watching the game full stop on Sunday. The standard was obviously extremely high. WA had a really good team. So, no, I just enjoyed the experience watching the game. You said you were nervous. Are you more nervous watching your son play or batting at three for Australia with Alan Donald steaming in and you're next to come? No, watching your kids play is the worst because you, you can't do anything about it. You, you're sort of out of control a bit. But, no, it's um, it's been really good to watch him come through, especially from a young guy and, 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 and finally sort of start to make his, um, make his way. Um, but... No, ne no less nerve-wracking to watch him play. No, definitely worse watching than playing. And then to you, Sam, what's it like <laughs> having your dad there watching on the hill, watching you really closely? Do you uh, think about it much? No, nah, I definitely don't think about it. I think that having him around so many games, like like you said, Dad, from being when I was playing when I was younger to, to even on the weekend, I think, just get used to it. It's just for me, he's not really a cricketer, he's just a dad. So, um, yeah, it's pretty... Um, Pretty stock standard, really. Now, the question I'm dying to ask you is, you're a bowler and not a batsman. Your dad opened the batting for Australia and you're a fast bowler who opens the bowling for Victoria. How, how does this happen? I think it started because I've got an older brother that's a couple of years ahead of me. He sort of 
first one to grab all of dad's gear, backyard cricket. <laughs> he was he was always the one that um, jumped in, wanted to bat first. So I was left with the ball. And because he was a couple of years older, there was a couple of long days in the backyard trying to, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get him out. So I think that's how that sort of happened. And then um, sort of built on with my younger brother coming through. So And Zach's never one to sort of share the bat around either. So he's never out. So... There's a couple of long days for me and Will in the backyard. <laughs> Do you have any memories at all of your dad playing cricket for his country, for his state? Um, any memories at all or is it all on YouTube that you that you sort of take it in? No, there's probably one that his playing days back end of when he was playing for South Australia is the only stuff that I can remember. Um, it's one vivid memory of him and Boof batting together that's probably the one that sticks out the most um, or even in his last game actually when um, GC got him out and I remember he, he's maybe a little bit of a lean trot I think he got 13 or something and this guy this kid was sitting behind me who was like a mate of a mate I was only young at the time and um, he sort of said oh your dad's no good with a Two extra words than that. <laughs> I turned around and, and hit him in the face. So, yeah, that's um, that's probably my last <laughs> play, which isn't great. But yeah, I think the one that definitely sticks out the most is him batting with Boof. And um, when we were living over in South Australia, it was pretty cool now to look back on. We got um, Boof, who's obviously coached Australia, and we used to go over to his house all the time and used to harass Jake. Um, his son and now Dizzy coaching as well. We lived in Dizzy's house for a, for a couple of years or a year and a bit. So, yeah, it's pretty cool now even playing against them. Yeah. Um, yeah, swings and roundabouts. We want to get to your dad's career, but just while we're talking about yourself, <laughs> growing up in that family of of your dad playing for Australia, but also you're mentioning names like Darren Lehman and Jason mm. Gillespie, the, the expectation on you to sort of follow, following your dad's footsteps, like your brothers as well, you know, that, that same sort of pressure. But now you've reached that that level. You're sitting there, I'm talking to you with the Victorian cap on. That, I'm really interested in that pathway through for you. Um, I think it was a bit easier for me than perhaps my older brother. I think, you know, those two being left-handed top-order batters, um, he probably coughed a bit more of a brunt of it than me, especially the first one to come through. And yeah, like you said, um, I like to think of myself as an all-rounder, but mainly a bowler at the moment. So I think um, it was a bit easier on me coming through, not being sort of compared to him as much. And it gets to a stage really where, especially out in the field, you've sort of heard it all before, so it doesn't mm. really come into it too much. But yeah, coming up through, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. You can't change it, but um, he's my biggest supporter, so... Um, yeah. What about as a dad? Did you shield them, try and shield them away from it or did you try and embrace it or um, put pressure, not put pressure on them, but, you know, come on, you've got the talents, it's in the family. What was it like, you know, as the kids grew up? Um, well, I always encouraged them to be involved in sport. I wasn't, didn't have to be cricket for me, just wanted them to be involved in some sort of sport. I think it's a great, it's, it's, it's a great uh, mechanism for development of people. Um, so I always wanted to be active and to be involved. And then I think Sam's right, because you know, Zach was the older one, he's left-handed, he probably bore a bit more. 
And that used to really hurt me a bit. I used to get fairly wound up about people having a bit of a crack at him. Mm. But again, what you, you, can't, you, you can't do anything about it. You know, it's, it's no good going up and having a crack at somebody or accosting them after the game. And I think for the boys, the, the, the quicker they develop the tools and the, and the strategies to, to be able to cope with it, probably the better for them. But I know Zach, I think it probably affected him you know, probably more than Sam, being a, a different type of player. And then, yeah, because he was following in behind, I think he just sort of missed that that wave of that yep. bow wave of sort of, of, of pressure. But um, look, they've got to find their own way, the boys, and and they and they and they do that, you know, and they love the game, and that's the big thing for me. Whether it's at this level or whether it's at club level or whether it's at community level, it's just the love and passion for the game that that, that we share together. So where did, where did that passion come for you? A boy from Coabram yeah. um, in country Victoria that ends up playing cricket for his country. I mean, it's it's such a great story. But how did, how did the bug of cricket get you? It wasn't even Coabram. We lived in a, t- a place so much smaller than Coabram called Lancaster. It's literally a corner store. But you have to say Coabram and then no one knows, And then you say Shepherd and then you sort of work <laughs> yep, your way yep. down to Lancaster. But my, my father played as well, so I have vis- like really vivid memories of going along to games, hot, country, dry. But we just went just to follow Dad around and then, you know, you'd find a bat and a ball and you'd just have a hit and you'd be playing and you'd make your own games up and then you'd, I'd annoy him for a drink or some food or and, – um, and that's how I developed my passion for the game. And I was really, really lucky when I was – I reckon there's a lot of – there is a lot of luck in it. When I was coming through, I played some of them for some really great clubs. Cryabram Cricket Club was great to me. They always gave me plenty of opportunities and they, they helped foster my love of the game. So my heroes in cricket were the guys I started playing with at Cryabram. Russell Morgan, Peter Raglas. Like I could still name the guys that were my heroes playing. Like I remember being at mid-off, packing my ducks, throwing the ball to – you know, Peter Raglas or or Bob Ferguson, who are legends in 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 my mind, and the guys that I played with, um, and then I went, I went to Collingwood as well, which was a great club. So I was really lucky and fortunate that my love of the game was fostered through some really great clubs. So when I I asked Dave Hussey this question, I'll ask you as well. What does Victorian cricket mean to you? Um, I think for me, it, it's more of the memory, like. Th- as you get older, it's, it, I suppose not what it means to me, but I just reflect so fondly on coming down and like just playing Premier Cricket was such a big thing for, from a kid from the country. The opportunity to play at some of the old VFL grounds, like that was a really exciting experience. So I have really great memories of playing Premier Cricket because it was, it was big for me. And then you play against your idols. I played against Rodney Hogg in my second game. And I watched him on TV. So for me, I was living my childhood dream just playing Premier Cricket. So, so for me, Victorian cricket's not just the state stuff. It's it's Premier cricket as well because because I absolutely loved it. Um, and then to watch the team and and, and with a vested a bit more of a vested interest now too, and and watch it and see the changes, particularly probably in more recent times, really excited about potentially where it can go as well. You know, I want to see them win and be successful and, and and be a strong team as well, which they they have done certainly in the four day competition, and then and finding their way in the one day stuff. And, and Sam, do you you hear what your dad's saying? Now you're doing that. Is that is it similar for you watching, say, the Big Bash on television, or going down and watching cricket here at the City Power Centre? And now now you're that person playing with and against your heroes. Yeah, it was um, <clears throat> pretty, I guess, strange to start because, um, especially being around like the first couple of Big Bashes and 
in terms of like we'd be able to go down into the rooms and meet those people and you know Huss would give me a pair of gloves and be the best thing ever and um, even now playing with guys that I watch on TV like Petey Hanscom growing up and um, and Barrel and stuff like that and being able to play with alongside them like Pato was one of my favourite bowlers um, and now to say that I've played a game with him it's like uh, it's unbelievable but I think not only it sort of it starts like that but it's even better when you become friends with them become mates with them being able to text them about anything or what do you see on TV or the tips for the races or whatever it is. Um, yeah, it seems to be that always coming through. And I think cricket's such a great sport because you're with people for a long time. You get to really um, form bonds and make friendships with those people as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, Sam, we were talking, I was talking to Sam about living, not so much living in your shadow, but the expectation of, of the Elliot name. You were a little bit different because as you were coming through playing for Victoria – you were going to be the next Bill Laurie. What, what was that like having that comparison? Because it's a pretty daunting comparison to have. The worst part of it was they did this photo thing once where they had poor rifle myself and Bill Laurie because of the noses and, and Bill's was still like – I've got a big one, but Bill's nose was like twice as big <laughs> as mine. It was phenomenally big. But oh, when I started, Bill was, you know, working for Cricket Victoria. So I remember going into his office and him saying to me, mate, you need to play baseball, you need to work on your throwing, you need to, you know, do all these things with your fielding. So I had a sort of a real direct connection with Bill, um, even coming through the system. Um, look, I didn't see Bill play as much, especially growing up where I grew up. But So I didn't feel any real expectation other than, you know, he was a wonderful player. And so any comparison... Um, shows that you're sort of on the right track. Um, I remember him saying to me once, because we played a game at um, at the MCG and I got a few runs and I sort of hit a guy late in the day, whacked a guy over the top. Bill was like, nah, just, just grind them out. Don't give them a chance. I don't. So that was one of the few times he sort of had any comments about, you know, a particular innings or the way that I played. But no, he's a, he's a, he's a legend of Victorian cricket and Australian cricket. Where did your pull shot come from? Is it something that you were talking about playing cricket in Kyabram or is it a shot your dad had that you, you sort of mimic? Where did that come from? Because it's it's still with you now as the, the, the famous shot, the, the famous shot that you hit Alan Donald through a through a sponsorship hoarding on the at Square Leg at the, the Wanderers. But, you know, forever through your career, that was what you were known for. Yeah, I think it mainly because we played on synthetic wickets up in, up in um, Kyabram and they really bounced a bit. So I couldn't really – I wasn't strong enough to hit the ball down the ground. So you sort of had to take – like the only way I could score really was to take it on a bit. Um, whether it's that or – I don't know. Like maybe it was the synthetic wickets a bit. Um, I never actively like tried to practice playing it lots and lots. But um, I don't know. It was just one of those things I think. Third highest amount of runs ever scored for Victorian Sheffield Shield cricket. It's an extraordinary – achievement an extraordinary number when you talk about some of the other names up there with you know brad hodge and, and dean jones the the art of batting a long time the art of scoring centuries 50 first class centuries is, is there an art to it i think there's a way to manage yourself at the crease definitely i think the the, the ability to just stay in the moment for long periods of time is something you can actually is a skill you can learn whether it's like mentally distracting yourself between balls or a little routine ball to ball or or whatever it is, or or staying sort of in a little bit of a bubble where you're, you're not letting outside things really affect you too much. Oh, I think that's a skill that can be learned. Um, but you have to commit to it, uh, I think. And um, I, 
I really feel for the modern player because the modern player has faces so many challenges, so many different formats. Mm. So in a lot of ways, they're actually more skillful than 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 you know, particularly in my era because it was so it was just four day cricket and one day cricket, and that <clears throat> and the way the schedule worked is you had the ability to really manage yourself, but. Yeah, I think it can be a learnt skill for sure. So in 2003-2004, you broke the record for the most runs ever in a Sheffield Shield season. Michael Bevan then broke it the next year. Nothing like holding it for a <laughs> That's while, right, is it? exactly. Oh. Uh, but it was a Shield winning season. It was the season after the passing, the tragic passing of David Hawkes. Was that when you were at your absolute best, do you think, as a cricketer? Because you had obviously the injuries, which we'll get to shortly, but was that you at the absolute peak of your powers? Um, I think statistically, yes, but... I think I played better when I was a bit younger. Um, I just probably learnt to manage myself a bit better. And and sometimes it's the year. The way the year unfolds, you can get on a run where the way the games unfold, the na- and we were bowling really, really well. had a fantastic bowling group that's, that was really unheralded. John Moss, Matty Innes was a wonderful bowler. Alan Wise did a great job. And then we had uh, Mick Lewis and Shane Harwood. So we had a terrific attack that was knocking teams over and giving us um, giving us a chance to bat, <clears throat> particularly at the MCG, for long periods in the middle of games to, to make big yep. scores. So sometimes it could be the way the season works out. And, and if your bowling attack's bowling well, you're getting plenty of opportunities to bat for long periods of time. So in, in, in that instance that year, <clears throat> you know, I was afforded lots of opportunities by the bowlers. So you're making a lot of runs and it's a hard team to get in the Australian one because some of the best openers of the last 50 years are in and around the team. You've got Taylor, you've got uh, Slater, there was Blewett, there was Hayden, there was Elliot, there was Langer. Um, How hard is it when you just keep making runs and you can't get in or when you're in worrying about all the blokes that are getting runs back at Sheffield Shield level, that that pressure? Yeah, it it, it can be difficult. I I really... um Relay a story about. Uh, I really felt for Hodgie this day. We're playing a one day at the MCG, and David Boone was there as a selector, and he came in to tell us both in that specific year that we weren't going. Either of us were going to Sri Lanka. <clears throat> They'd picked the squad, and neither of us were in it. And um, I could sort of see the writing on the wall a bit, and we sort of had a game to play. So I said, "Oh no worries, thanks, Boone. Thanks for at least letting us know all the feedback." And then I could see Hodgie still wanted to, you know, talk about it. And um, so I left the two of them to have a chat and just yeah, went away to prepare to play. But when you're in that position, it's, it's all the other stuff that can affect how you're going. And it sounds really cliche, but you, you've, got to wipe, you've got to try as much as you can stay in a position where you're consistent. But it's, it's so difficult because, you know, all these sorts of things and white noise – mentally can affect and it can move you away from the things that you've been doing you become more frustrated easily or there's something else that distracts you and then all of a sudden you start to not play as well I, I just felt like and this is this is just this personally I felt like we had potentially Hodgie and myself had to do more than the players that were getting picked to play to get picked but having said that you know I had plenty of opportunities I probably felt more for Hodgie where I thought yeah I thought he was a bit hard done by I thought he could have been afforded a few more opportunities given how, how good a player he was. So in that situation, that, that pressure, do doubts come in or are they more are there more sort of distractions that you've kind of got to do different things or you've got to behave differently or you've got to, I don't know, to be able to prove yourself almost? What what's the is there a yeah. one emotional over the other that, that makes it hard to sort of go away from just playing? It's a great question and I felt 
that that was happening where after that year I come out and probably didn't play as well, but I was probably trying to be more aggressive because I thought I had to play a certain way to get picked. And then you move away from what is your real strength and you, your return diminishes and then you get into the court in this cycle of like trying to be something that you're not as well. So I don't know, it's, it's a really difficult one. I think if you can, as much as you can keep it to the side and, and really try and stay true to yourself, um, and stay focused on just making sure that you're doing the things day to day and week to week that you give yourself the best chance to succeed. If you can stay in that space for as long as you can, um, you, I think you give yourself a chance. But it, it's so difficult. It's, it's, it's almost really hard to articulate and sometimes it's the frustration that actually ends up affecting your performance because you start to get a bit resentful about why you're not getting picked um, or why the opportunities aren't presenting themselves. Um, and, and, and as a side to that, I did catch up with Bernie later on, you know, that year and I said to him, mate, I can't compete with some of the players you're picking because in your mind, I felt like the potential of what they could be was what they were getting picked on. And I said, all I, like, I'm not that good in the field. I get, this is what I do. If that's not enough, I'll never get picked. I can't compete with potentially what someone might do. Yeah. And, but then... You know, you have these conversations, but it ends up feeling like it's, you know, sour grapes as to why you're not getting picked. Selection is such a difficult thing sometimes to deal with. Yeah. So, uh, so many people reference the the mid-wicket uh, incident with Mark Waugh, the, the clash and the knee injury that came with that when you were batting so beautifully that day in Sydney against the West Indies. Um, you did get back and play, obviously, for Australia and, and were wonderful in that 97 Ashes series. Do you, do you look back now on, on that incident? Did, do you think that had a big impact on your career, the, the clash with, with Mark Wall, Or is that overstated a little bit? Oh, I had plenty of chances. It's just like physically like knee never really got back to being 100% and then started to have just, you know, little problems year on year with it. And then uh, – and it sounds like an excuse though when you say it, but it was more – it's more when you're in that moment and that time, it's maximising the opportunity that you get. It probably wasn't so much the injury, but I had the opportunity then. Like you could tell we had the wind, like had them done. The wicket was flat. Ambrose and Walsh were, they were just plugging away. They weren't, you know, they had the ability. I keep saying to Sam, if you could watch anyone bowl, Kirtley's ability to sense a moment in a game and take his performance to the, like really get himself to the next level was probably the best of both he and Walsh was the best I've seen just sensing moments in games but they were in autopilot mode at that stage so to get a hundred and establish yourself in the team and then you go into the next game you know you can build that momentum and it can start to roll on um, but I, I, it didn't happen so and then I, I as I said I got plenty of opportunities to come back into the team I just couldn't really um, you know embed myself in the team with enough performances do you, is there anything you'd change? Is there anything you regret now looking back and thought, if I'd done that differently, it might have been a different set of circumstances? 21 test matches, three centuries, um, not the not the average, say, at Shield level, but that is often the case when someone goes and plays for their country. W when you look back, what do you think? Probably more – it's probably not to, to about playing. It was more preparation. So at that stage, you could I reckon you could sense the game was changing a bit. And so I'd sort of go out and run and do long runs and whatever, but I couldn't get any slower. <laughs> I needed to be a bit quicker and more athletic and be a bit stronger in the field and move a bit better. So the only thing I'd probably regret now is not pursuing some of those things a bit more and developing that side of myself as an athlete because um, I was really focused on the skill aspect of the game and, and the technique and the craft, but I think you still need – if you can 
but there was plenty of opportunities you could see at that time to develop yourself in that space as well. Sam, listening to your dad talk about playing for his country and all that sort of thing, how much do you get out of that and how much does that help you? And, and how often do you sit around the kitchen table and talk to your dad and say, look, you know, I've got this issue I'm trying to work through or how much of the, the, do you use him as a resource? Yeah, I think um, a lot of the stuff he's talking about, mainly about the mental side of the game, typically use him on, I think, and I think he's selling himself short a little bit in terms of the way he thinks about the game and, like, his knee still bugs him now. So I think those sort of things that he's very, very modest and the way he talks to people and the way that people talk about him is probably the biggest reflection on him. I think even yesterday we were at a past players golf day and the, the amount of people that came up and said, where was dad and all that sort of stuff and he, he was off working. But all those sorts of things I think is more of a credit to him than necessarily his playing ability, but more, I think, how people saw him as a teammate, especially um, Moddy, um, Matthew Mott. Yep. Um, spoke recently in an interview, it's probably something I haven't sort of read or seen outside of Dad that other people guess thought. Um, I've always sort of seen in the media, he's always portrayed as someone who um, was grumpy and this, and he, he definitely can be that, <laughs> but he's definitely not that around the house and um, with me and my brothers and with his mates and all that sort of stuff. So I think um, he's obviously very, very serious in uh, his work and all that sort of thing, but I think more the way that people speak about him um, sits with me probably more fondly than his necessarily his playing. What, what was more scary, facing Alan Donald at the top of his run or someone like a Shane Harwood in the nets for Victoria? Stick his good bulk fast, <laughs> yeah. He was um, – yeah, and we had a couple of sessions where – I think Huss might have stirred him up one day <laughs> and I was batting after Huss so I said I didn't really appreciate it. I remember actually playing Alan Donald in South Africa. It's probably one of my f- fondest cricket memories. We're playing him in the second test at Port Elizabeth and they'd – Warnie had spun it, bowled unbelievable in Joburg and we'd, we'd pants them. And so they went the green wicket. You know, they went a juicy wicket and um, facing him – in that test match was one of my greatest cricket memories because it was on, like he was bowling fast, he was hitting the bat hard and, and you were right in the contest. And every time I remember looking down thinking, watched him at fine leg and thinking, oh, I hope he doesn't take his hat off. He takes his hat off because, oh, another one. <laughs> and he just had me pinned down one end for about half an hour. But that's, they're the things that I reflect really fondly on. That's what you want to experience as a player, be in that moment and be really tested. Um, and I always say, like I've spoken to the shippy got me in a few years ago, and I always say, I always say this is the white ball stuff gives us the luxury or affords affords us to be able to play red ball cricket, pays the bills to be able to play red ball cricket because that's the real test of a player. That's that's where you really challenge yourself as a player and you find out a lot about yourself in situations in 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 four day stuff. But white ball cricket, yes, but it's more scoreboard pressure and being able to manage moment to moment. But in, in, in four-day cricket, I think that's the real – and five-day cricket, you, you just really find out a lot about yourself. A couple more questions before we've sort of run out of time, but I want to ask you a couple more about getting still involved now in cricket as president of Fitzroy Doncaster, getting back to grassroots cricket now at, at um, now with the same club that y- your son plays at. Um, what's that like? And, and also what's Premier Cricket like? Are you seeing opening batsmen with the same batting craft of yourself or a Brad Hodge or a Dean Jones or a Cameron White coming through? 
I'm definitely not one of those people that sits back and says it was better in my day. And I really, that, that's a real bugbear of mine. I, I, I really despise people talking down Premier Cricket because I go and watch it and it's a, it's a really good standard of cricket. I think there's been a bit of a step change in the last couple of years too where the, the state boys and the contract boys are playing more, which I think is a great thing for the competition. You learn by watching and by watching the best players play. Like uh, Marcus Harris played against Fitzroy last year and got 100 in a, in, on a tricky wicket. And he just showed the boys, our boys, how to play. And, and I hope that they took a lot from the experience of playing against a player of that, that quality. So I definitely think it's, it's exciting as to where the competition's going. I can see some really good players coming through. I think, there's a, I think we're building a little bit of a generation of a, a younger group. Um, if we can stay patient and watch that group come through, hopefully we can build a bit of a dynasty in, in Victorian cricket, similar to... You know, watching the WA team on the weekend, they've got a very experienced group of players. Um, so, yeah, it, it, and it's been great to get back and be involved. The game's been great to me, so it's about time I stepped up and, and gave a bit back. And the last question is, is uh, Sam as clever as you? Because the the mail is that you did very well back at school. He's much smarter yeah. than me. He's much street, he's street, he's street, street smart. smart street probably, smart, yeah. yeah. I'm book smart. He's street smart. <laughs> so what was your score back at school in year 12? It's better than your batting average. Uh, I think it was. This is um, this is HSC, yeah. or actually, it might have been the VC first year of VCE. Yeah. yeah, I think I got three forty six, three forty six out of four ten, maybe. I think you needed three fifty something to get to medicine that year at Melbourne mm. Uni. So well, there you go. yeah, so um, but I enjoyed school. You know, I was a bit of a nuffy. I was a, a, bit of a bit of a nerdy <laughs> book, but. But loved it, you know. So, and I was again, I was really lucky at, at school at Kybram High when my dad taught. We had some great teachers, and it was a great school. Well, it's so much fun to have you both in here. I could talk to you for four hours because you know, growing up, having uh, watching you on the television, it was it was so so much fun to, to watch you. To have, so to be able to spend some time with you uh, talking about your career, fantastic. Thank you for coming I appreciate in. Appreciate it. And for you, Sam, good luck. Um, you're at the start of your journey, and hopefully, it's a, a long one, just like your dad's. Uh, representing Victoria. Thank you. That is the well. That is it for the Vic State Cricket Podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the the family affair. We'll catch you again next week.